Good day, beautiful podcast family, wonderful people, divine human souls. What a privilege and honor to be with you once again. We've got a phenomenal episode of the show for you today. We have Dr. James Hart on, and we are talking about brain waves, neurofeedback, and mind power. I really enjoyed this episode with Dr. James Hart because we are very similar-minded where we wanted to pursue enlightenment and the limits of consciousness and all these different fascinating, you know, stories and, um, theories that we've heard from like these yogis and meditating monks and all these kinds of things and so he did that too except for he's like a neuroscientist and loves science and so he is bringing the science to all of these discoveries so we talk about uh he's also the founder of the biocybernaut institute so um we talk about what bios biocybernaut means measuring consciousness and brainwaves the history of brainwave feedback uh the 150 attainment levels in tibet the secret Tibetan society, the astral, uh, the astral plane, the nine uh, species of angels, uh, the global brain. There's so many notes I'm just going through here. The enrichment of the environment study, the work of Ram Das, Celtic masters, uh, how to remove doubt, and so much more. So this is a phenomenal episode. Those are just some of the show notes. I know you're going to enjoy this one. And if you do, please share this episode as far and as wide as you can because censorship is still the real deal. I want to appreciate everybody who's taken a moment, taken some time to leave a review for the podcast, who has shared and who has supported the show because it means a lot. Uh, the show did get into top 10 in about, uh, I think, 9 or 10 different countries last month from shares from you guys actually sharing the episodes directly so please keep that up leave a review um if you want to support the show you can also go to mattbelair.com all the episodes are backed up there's a membership there that you can access by donation just like patreon because patreon has deleted my account uh, which was very helpful um, to receive those generous donations from you guys but now they're non-existent so if you can go to mattbelair.com there's a few donation um, options there and if you want to leave a specific amount or uh, you want it for free i'm happy to do that as well there are some great bonuses within the membership area and would love to have you there um, also be sure to check out the quantum heart hypnosis series it is a phenomenal and very powerful very unique series we have you know uh recordings for abundance and you know money manifestation how to manifest specific things for self-worth and all these uh, different limiting beliefs that a lot of people have um, also how to know your purpose and then build your dreams and also how to make your own recordings so this is just like i worked with the athletes and teach them how to do very powerful guided visualizations well this is even more powerful because you're using the energy from your heart which is connected to source and you really feel it in these autos so check out the quantum heart hypnosis and for those of you guys who are really serious about you know wanting to leave a legacy here you really want to live your life purpose you want to make a positive contribution um, on humanity you want to be clear about who you are you want to remove self-doubt and all these limiting beliefs and all these obstructions from you doing and living your life purpose and you want to do that with community with tools with support with accountability i'd love to work with you and you can do that if you go to mapbelair.com forward slash coaching or you can even join me uh, as my guest on a client call for the Atomic Alchemy Mastermind Group. So there are many options for us to work together. I would love to hear from you and support you. And I can support you in many different levels from the quantum heart stuff to the soul compass to one-on-one -on -one coaching and group coaching and everything in between to help you support your journey, whether you're looking to live your life purpose and really make an impact here or you're more on the uh, peak performance side of things and you want to level up, whether you're an existing CEO or businessman or something like that and you want to apply these people 
performance tools to your life. Um, you know, I do that too. And I uh, just don't talk about that as much. So that is all an option. So I think that's it. Let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we dive in to this episode. Remember, the best way to support the show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world. So let's just come into a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, courage, faith, and get ready to enjoy this phenomenal episode with Dr. James Hart. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. As many of you know, we are facing and overcoming extreme censorship. So if you want to support this show, please share episodes far and wide. Consider leaving a review in iTunes. You can go to mattbelair.com and join the membership where all the episodes are backed up with bonus content. But most importantly, consider doing three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest has devoted his life to the study of electrophysiological basis of advanced spiritual states. He has traveled the globe in pursuit of his research, including India to study yogis, to Zen masters, and Christian prayer. He continues his pursuit of advanced brainwave and meditation connections that allow people to become the best version of themselves they can be. He is the founder of the BioCyberNot Institute. Welcome to the show, Dr. James Hart. It is a wonderful privilege to be here with you, Matt Belair. Oh, I'm so excited to do this. You might be the only guest with the most uh, a better background than me. You've got a Taurus behind you. And uh, before we, we dove into this, um, you were telling me uh, what BioCybernaut uh, meant. And I, I'd love for you to just uh, start with that and then tell us a little bit about your background and how you you know, were inspired to take the path you did, because it's very similar to mine, except for you have the scientific background. So I'm so excited to dive in and, and learn from you know, all of your studies and research. Well, thank you for that generous, open-ended invitation. Uh, as I was saying at the beginning, a biocybernaut is to inner space what an astronaut is to outer space. And uh, the nought is a Greek suffix that means someone who goes on an adventure. Originally, there was Jason and the Argonauts who went off in a boat uh, and had a lot of adventures they were trying to find and bring back to the king the golden fleece, which was the king's price for getting his daughter's hand in marriage. Well, after Jason and the Argonauts, and we've had astronauts and we've had cosmonauts and now we have bio cybernauts and of course bio refers to the biology cyber everybody knows cyberspace but many people may not know that the word cipher is an old word that meant to calculate if you were going to do arithmetic you were said to be ciphering and so bio uh, the biology cyber which is the cybernetic calculating electronic uh, uh, technology, and not somebody who goes on an adventure. And uh, yes, um, the origin of my life's work was, uh, I was a physics major at Carnegie Institute of Technology, destined, so I thought, to work in a particle lab. I was going to study uh, subatomic particles with high-energy accelerators. But in the fall semester of my senior year, I came out of the student union, Skybo at uh, Carnegie Institute of Technology. 
And I uh, was confronted by a very large uh, hand-painted sign where every letter was a slightly different color. And it said, Dr. Joe Camillo will talk on brainwaves and consciousness. And it gave a time, it was, oh, just 10 minutes hence. The building was Margaret Morrison College right across the tennis courts. And I didn't have a class, so well, why not to go? Now, in the background, I had become uh, very good friends with uh, Rick O'Dell, who was a grad student at Duquesne University, also in Pittsburgh. And there they had some French Jesuit priests who were teaching Merleau-Ponty's phenomenology or the structure of consciousness. Now, the people at the Carnegie Tech Psychology Department thought that was witchcraft uh, because experience, nobody can deal with experience. It's not scientific. It's behavior. They have to study behavior. And so there were a lot of rat runners there. And so I actually, in my senior year, set up an exchange program between the psych department at Duquesne and the psych department at Carnegie Tech to the chagrin of many of the hard-nosed physiologists there. Uh, but anyway, I went to this talk on brainwaves and consciousness and blew me away because here, Dr. Camilla, who had in 1962, a few years earlier, discovered that humans could voluntarily control their own alpha brainwaves if they were given feedback. Uh, feedback had to be accurate, had to be immediate, and I now know it needs to be reasonably aesthetic. The sound of fingernails scratching on a blackboard would not make a good feedback sound. So we use synthesized flutes and oboes and clarinets and saxophones and organs and music like that. So this was suddenly a way to measure consciousness by measuring the brain waves. And so I spent every spare minute my senior year in the library reading <clears throat> the very long uh, history of, of brain waves. They were discovered in 1908 by an Austrian psychiatrist, Herr Dr. Dr. Hans Berger, who kept it a secret for 10 years. He thought it was related to ESP. And uh, he finally published in 1918 uh, became an instant sensation. Soon hospitals, labs all over the world had to have EEG equipment to measure brainwaves. And all of the original studies were psychophysics. Okay, if we you know, blast a tone of this frequency, what does it do to the alpha waves? If we make it a different frequency, what does that do? If we shine a light in people's eyes, what does that do? What if we make the light dimmer? What if we make it brighter? That kind of stuff, psychophysics. There was no attempt to relate it in any way to consciousness. But that all changed in 1962. Uh, and pretty soon, uh, it's interesting, 1962 was the year that LSD became illegal in California. And 1962 was the year when Joe Camilla introduced alpha brainwave feedback. And so uh, there was a rush uh, to do it. Most people did it wrong. When I came into the field uh, in the early 70s, 90% uh, of all the published studies showed that people could not learn to increase their alpha. And it was almost exclusively methodological flaws, which I learned how to fix. So anyway, uh, in, in the uh, spring, uh, I graduated with a degree in physics. I hopped on my Triumph Bonneville motorcycle, roared up into Canada, took the Trans-Canadian Highway across, sleeping in barns along the way. Uh, till I got to above Washington, where I visited the Hart uh, branch, uh, Forest Hart had a 6,000 acre wheat ranch there. I'd never met that part of the family. I 
met with them, and then cruised down I-5, got off at San Francisco, and reported to Joe Camilla's lab, where I volunteered as a research subject. They had a, uh, they had a, a, a dilapidated house at the edge of campus in one of the bedrooms on the first floor. They had a very large PDP-15 um, mini computer from Digital Equipment Corp. The feedback chamber was a closet off the bedroom that they put sound tile on. And this gigantic computer ran the uh, biofeedback process. It was fairly primitive. One electrode at the middle of the back, they had one three-digit score with Nixie tubes. It's a long a vanished technology where you have little vacuum tubes with uh, 10 different filaments in there, a zero, a one, a two. And depending on which pins you power, the appropriate filament glows. Now we have LED, so we don't need that older technology. And the feedback was one, audio feedback was one large 12-inch um, uh, speaker sitting, no case, torn paper, sitting on an orange crate in the corner of the closet. Like I said, it was fairly primitive. But it was the most fascinating thing I'd ever done in my life. Uh, it responded, the sounds responded to my thinking. If I would relax, then the tone indicating alpha would get louder. Of course, I'm a physicist, right? I'm a Protestant fundamentalist physicist. And so my rational mind jumps at it. What was that? How'd that happen? How can I keep it going? Well, it retreated. Hmm. So then I'd settle back, relax. Tone would come on. Immediately, my mind would jump at it. What's that? How can I keep it going? And it would retreat. Well, I learned how to put a collar on that aspect of my consciousness. And when the tone would occur, it would run go like that. And I could restrain it for half a second. With practice, I could restrain it for one second. Pretty soon I'm restraining it for two or three seconds and the tone is swelling and getting louder. <clears throat> and I had three days like that, about an hour each day. Fascinating experience. I wanted more. So I went back on the fourth day, but to my chagrin, they were not doing any studies. <laughs> However, I'd learned how the lab worked and Dr. Camille's girlfriend, Joanne Gardner, later became his wife, worked in the lab. She and I had become friends. I went to her office, hey, Joanne, would you take me downstairs, put a few electrodes on me, put me in the closet so I can play? Oh yeah, sure. So she does that, hooks me up. <clears throat> she didn't turn on the polygraph because you know I was nobody's data and these paper polygraphs, ink writing paper polygraphs have to be monitored, the paper jams, uh, the ink wells run dry, you know, so, <clears throat> so I was just getting feedback. And uh, she went upstairs, forgot I was there. And later lunchtime came and she went out to lunch with nine other members of the lab in Paul Gorman's VW camper van. And in course 11, of a 12 course Chinese lunch, she goes, oh my God, and she remembered <clears throat> there was somebody in the chamber. They all rush out of the restaurant, pile into the camper van, roar across town, run into the building, come in, rip open the door of the chamber and interrupt the later stages of the most incredible adventure. This Protestant fundamentalist physics major had had out-of-body experience. He was flying around the universe. He was having ego disintegration. He was meeting up with discorporate entities. Nobody in Sunday school had ever told him about any of this. So... <clears throat> The door opens and there's 10 people standing there. And of course they were alarmed, like, oh my God, did something, you know, did was there a meltdown? So they asked, Dr. Kame asked me what happened. So as I'm reporting the things that had happened to me, 
Paul Gorman, who with his wife in that camper van had toured India the summer before, would say, oh, that's a meditation experience. I'd say something else. He'd go, oh, that's a meditation experience. And so I could probably have spelled the word meditation. I had no idea what it was. <clears throat> and here I found I had, had experiences that often only occur to advanced meditators, 20, 30, 40 years of meditation experience. And it all happened on my fourth day where I was uh, forgotten in the chamber. And except for that experience, I'd be in a physics lab somewhere studying uh, subatomic particles. So that's the founder story for BioCyberNet. Now, pretty soon uh, summer's over. Now, for the next three days I walked around, I, my feet didn't touch the ground. I was so out of body, uh, two and a half, three feet off the ground. And, but then summer was over and I had to, uh, I, well, I decided I was going to go back to uh, Pittsburgh. Carnegie Institute of Tech had joined with Mellon Institute and had become Carnegie Mellon University. And the people in the psych department, some of them really liked me. And so I figured I, maybe I should get my rational mind stamped with somebody's seal of approval, a PhD in psychology or something like that, because I had the feeling I was going to be working with weird stuff. At BioCyberNet, we say it's wonderful. <laughs> so it is. So I jump on my motorcycle this time. I take I-80 and you know, go back to, to Pittsburgh. They, they give me a full scholarship and $2,200 a month stipend. Uh, so uh, I got a master's degree in one year. And uh, then I wrote one and uh, uh, received a pre-doctoral fellowship from NIMH which allowed me to go back out to California to Joe Camilla's lab. So I did most of my research out there in his lab. And so there I had the opportunity to work with advanced meditators later. Uh, well, in 1978, I built and reported on the world's first microcomputerized brainwave feedback and analyzer system. This turned out to be my ticket to India uh, Mako Stewart was doing a, a, a film on the tantric gurus of India. He'd been there five times before. Uh, he had people who were, you know, out in the villages looking for holy men. And so uh, he moved me and most of my lab uh, to Bombay, India, and set me up in the uh, Oberoi Hotel, then owned by the King of Nepal. And they would bring in these yogis that they had been, you know, finding, you know, over the last uh, five trips. And I got to measure brainwaves on some quite extraordinary beings. So, you know, let me pause there and uh, find out what direction you'd like me to go next. Well, that was an amazing intro. I'm excited to dive in because clearly you're incredibly intelligent, but you had, you know, what many refer to as a mystical experience, you know, something that's kind of beyond the state of the rational mind. Um, but you also have the scientific mind to try to figure out how the heck is this going on? So there's a many ways I'd like to take this. Um, one of them would be, you know, from your research and your courses on your uh, website, you talk about, you know, increasing uh, creativity to the point of even um, increasing the IQ and flow state and things like that. Mm -hmm. What are some of the best techniques that you found for someone who wants to dive into this? So that's kind of part of it that I want to go down is the practical side. But then after that, it's also the idea of what do you think the limits of consciousness are? You know, when you talk about um, these entities and these, these other beings and going to India, um, you know, 
what do you think the limits of consciousness are? Do you think that we're uh, moving to a higher evolution? One of the examples I give is like, you know, maybe we're dolphins conditioned to be believe we're goldfish and some people are getting their sonar and their dolphin abilities while other people are not. So maybe we can train them in and we can have a, a greater sense of awareness. So I'd, I'd love your um, insights on those ideas. Oh, well, you've just opened so many uh, <laughs> uh, for discussion. We're going to talk about dolphins in a minute, but the more important question is, uh, you know, a limit. So I, I would begin by saying how high is up? Okay. And, uh, you know, I don't know any limits on up. Now, in uh, Tibetan Buddhism, it is understood that there are over 150 attainment levels. Some of them are bigger steps than others. And so uh, I also know about a, 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 a knowledge of this is somewhat limited. There's a tradition in Tibet where you can only enter this uh, meditative tradition, this esoteric tradition, by invitation. How do you earn an invitation? Well, you have to predict the time and place of your death and when you will be reborn in your next life. And you have to do this for 13 consecutive lifetimes, and then you get invited into this tradition. So, um, you know, there's, uh, shall we say, uh, was it Herman Hesse? There are many uh, doors in the Magic Theater. Uh, and so uh, there's a lot of development. Uh, Ramdas said that the Christian concept of heaven is the lowest of seven levels of the astral plane. In Hindu cosmology, there's, of course, the physical plane, and there's a lot of variety there. There's lush, you know, tropical jungle teeming with life. There are the dried uh, deserts of uh, Antarctica. There's the Sahara. There are the tops of mountains. There's the bottom of the ocean. You can find life everywhere. You can even go down, you know, uh, five miles into the earth and dig up rocks and there's bacteria living there. So there's many different kinds of life in different ecological niches on the physical plane. Well, similarly, the astral plane which would be beings that don't have physical bodies, they would have light bodies, angels, are of course denizens of the astral plane. Catholic theology identifies uh, nine different species of angels. They include angels and archangels and guardian angels and thrones and powers and dominations and cherubim and seraphim and I don't remember what the ninth one is. But so a lot of different kinds of angels, but you know, many of them are construed, you know, to be somewhat hominid in form. Others are not. Uh, but uh, then there's the causal plane, where beings exist only as thought forms. Uh, and so there's a lot of variety. And uh, I don't think we need to worry about running out of ways to expand our consciousness. Uh, and so then dolphins. Now, um, every, in every training usually on day five, we show a video made by uh, Peter Russell called The Global Brain. And he has a book by this title. <clears throat> it was actually a presentation that he made in Toronto to the Psychosynthesis Conference in 1983. Uh, it's still timely, it's still relevant. Uh, and in it, he says that dolphins have the uh, most complex nervous system on the planet. 
This is actually not true. Now, if you, uh, if you uh, measure brain cell density of different species and you plot it on a graph versus measured IQ, it's a linear ramp up. The more densely the neurons are packed, the smarter the creature is. And so, but dolphins don't fit on this curve. Dolphins have a brain, humans have the most dense brain cell packing of any creature on the planet, except for dolphins. And of course, humans have the highest IQ. Uh, and they're smarter than dolphins. In fact, the great apes, gorillas, orangutans, and chimpanzees are smarter than dolphins. Dolphins have a brain cell density 1.8 times that of humans, almost double. So why aren't they swimming around with 180 IQ on average and the bright ones, maybe 260? Well, the reason this is, because when you look at dolphin brains under a microscope, you find that the neurons are deficient in arborization of the dendrites. The dendrites, which form an arbor or a forest around each neuron, allow the neurons to collect with, connect with nearby neurons. They have an axon, which allows them to connect with a few more distant neurons, but the arbor of dendrites, when it's rich, many branches, long dendrites, then those neurons can connect with many more. And so you have a switching network that has greater complexity. The problem is that dolphins, even though their neurons are packed 1.8 times more densely than humans, their neurons are deficient in arborization of the dendrites. So they can't take advantage of this close packing to have a richly interconnected network. Now, one would ask, why is this? The, the importance of the brain, big and complex brain, is important to human beings. I mean, the, if you look at the evolution of the human brain, it's been growing rapidly. If you go back to European graveyards from the 1500s and dig up skulls and measure their brain volume, you will find that modern Europeans have on average a cubic centimeter more brain volume than their near relatives of the 1500s. Now, on an evolutionary timescale, that's like <laughs> mother nature is just blowing up the human brain like really rapidly. And so why don't dolphins capitalize on this potentially great intellectual intelligence advantage? My answer to that is, or was initially, dolphins have life too easy. They never had to deal with a forest fire or a drought. They completely skipped the ice ages. They were fat, dumb, and happy playing in the ocean while early humans were having to make clothing furs, invent fire, make weapons. And so dolphins never had to, if you'll forgive a bad pun, they never had to think or swim. They could just play. And so uh, in defense of this theory, I went, so in other words, I think the ocean is a, a stimulus deprived environment. There's not much there to cause a brain to become you know, connected. And so uh, I found a study uh, that was done with kittens that kind of supports this. Kittens, as you know, are born with their eyes closed. And in the study, they needed more kittens than any mommy cat could have. So they used the split litter method. Multiple litters, they divided each litter, separated the kitties, half one side, half the other. And then with half the little kittens, they carefully sewed the eyes shut so they would never open. Then they returned all the kitties to the appropriate mother and they nursed and mewed and ran and jumped and played. And they grew up together. And at six months, all the kitties were sacrificed and their brains were studied under a microscope. 
And what they found was the kidneys where the eyes never open, the visual cortex, the occipital lobes, were deficient in, guess what, arborization of the dendrites, just like dolphins who live in a stimulus-deprived environment. So the visual cortex of these little kitties didn't receive the rich flood of information that normally comes up the optic nerve, and so they didn't develop. The visual cortex of the occipital lobes actually weighed less than in their litter mates whose eyes opened naturally. And so there was also a similar study done with human children. Uh, it was non-invasive. It was called Project Head Start. It was, I think it was done in the 70s. You couldn't do it now because every kid in every poor neighborhood has a cell phone and thus access to immense information. But back then, the psychologists identified uh, poor households in poor neighborhoods in big cities. Further, they identified poor households that had children. And so dividing them randomly into a treatment group and a non-treatment group, they did a treatment with half of the households. They showed up, it was no private tutors, no after-school classes, very simple, very cheap study. They showed up once at each of the half of the chosen household, and they gave each child one large, colorful, complex, age and gender appropriate toy. That's it. And then they left. In the other household, they didn't do that. And then they just sat back and waited five years, 10 years, 15 years. I believe it was 20 years. They recontacted the households. They stayed in touch, of course. And they found that significantly more of the children from the intervention households had gone to college. The enrichment of their environment in their poor household by one large, colorful, complex, age and gender appropriate toy had significantly affected the percentage of those children who went to college. And so the enrichment of the environment is very important. So if we could have a Head Start program for dolphin pups, possibly very soon, we'd have a companion species on this planet with an average IQ of 180 and the bright ones maybe swimming around at 260. Now, there could be hazards with that because they might then, should we say, have some uh, objections to what humans are doing to the ocean. Think of the big gyres of plastic swirling out in the Pacific. So uh, the complexity of the brain is important. Now, how does the biocybernet technology increase the complexity of the brain? Well, the brain is our master organ of feedback. You can put your hand behind your head and without looking, I close my eyes, I can bring together my thumb and each one of my fingers and I don't miss because my brain has feedback about where my body is. But in an evolutionary, shall we say, oops, uh, the organ of feedback has no feedback about itself. And so what we at BioCybernaut do is we provide that missing link where we give your brain feedback about itself. And so Eugene Taylor in his book, Shadow Culture, uh, says in chapter 13 uh, that when consciousness, the processes of consciousness or the process of doing science become an object of study, either by science or by your own consciousness, it goes beyond science and it becomes something else, metaphysics, spirituality, religion, whatever name we give to the process of the beyond conscious becoming the subject of consciousness. And he said, whatever it is, it's always a transforming moment. 
And so routinely at Biosimonov, people have profound mystical experiences. Now, why is this? Well, uh, the mystical literature goes back thousands of years. In 1964, Marshall surveyed the mystical literature to discover, he was looking for what are seemingly the ingredients that need to be present for someone to have a mystical experience. And he found three. One was an intense interior focus. Two was a powerful affective movement, strong emotion, ideally love. And the third was an absence of discursive thought. Well, this is exactly the setup in a biocybernet chamber. You sit in a soundproof chamber, so you're not disturbed by light or sound coming from the outside, and you are filled, the room is filled with these beautiful musical sounds that come from where? Inside your head. So you have a very powerful internal focus. Then you are urged, a big part of the process is forgiveness, and uh, the goal in forgiveness is to be able to go all the way to love. If you're doing self-forgiveness, you want to go all the way to love for that aspect of you that did whatever you're forgiving yourself for. And if it's someone else, you want to go all the way to love for that other person. So there you have the strong effective movement and then absence of discursive thought. You cannot make alpha if you are thinking in words. I'm fond of saying alpha isn't what you think. And that's a like at least triple entendre because if you're thinking, you're not in alpha. And it has to do with, among other things, the egoicity of your thought. If you're sitting in the chamber and your alpha is loud, your you know, tones are loud, and the thought comes to mind, gee, I'm doing pretty good, everything gets quiet. Because one, you conceptualize the situation, you had a concept, you had a thought in words, and two, you made it about I, me, ego. Now, if you uh, use iliism and you don't use the I thought, you go, gee, he's doing pretty good, or a woman, she's doing pretty good, it'll bring your alpha down, but not as much. And so the three essential ingredients for a mystical experience, intense interior focus, strong affective movement, and absence of discursive thought, it's a description of what happens inside the biosavonic chamber. So the fact that we routinely find people having mystical experiences kind of ordinary for us. As I said at, uh, earlier, at biosavonic, weird is wonderful. Now, the mystical experience is known by five hallmarks. Uh, intense realness, unusual sensations, transsensate phenomena. We have five senses, but transsensate phenomena are things that come to us from beyond the realm of the five senses. There is the experience of unity or oneness. And the fifth one is ineffability or unable to be described in words. And so some people come to biosarbonum because they want to get rid of anxiety or depression. And that happens very easily as the alpha waves go up. And publications in peer-reviewed scientific journals proving that. Uh, other people come because they want more creativity. The average increase from the alpha one training is 50%, or they want to be smarter. The average increase in IQ is 11.7 points. And in our studies, there's no fading of this boost, even as far out as a year. We haven't studied beyond that. And there's also an increase in emotional intelligence. Now, Dr. Travis Bradbury and Janine Greaves in their book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, 
point out that emotional intelligence is the master skill of success, accounting for almost 60% of our success in life. IQ, while important, is only maybe 10 or 20%. You can be really smart, but if you can't get along with people, can't hold a job, or you can't have employees, you can't find investors, things like that. So he also points out that every one point increase in EQ, emotional intelligence, nets a person an average increase in their salary of $1,300 per year. Now that's a global average that includes salaries in Bangladesh and Pakistan and the Maldives and uh, India, uh, but also France and England and Germany and Poland and Canada and the US. So it's a blended number. But even if you take that global average, if you're in a first world country, you have more economic opportunity, you take that number, $1,300 per year increase in average annual income, and you multiply it by the 15.8 point increase in EQ that we see as the average in our premium double alpha one training, and that comes out to be more than $20,000 in just the first year, and that's more than the cost of the training. And so people can also uh, get a copy of my book, The Art of Smart Thinking. All of your viewers can go to our website and put in a secret code and they can get a PDF copy of this book. Uh, and the website is www.biocybernaut.com, B-I-O-C-Y-B-E-R-N-A-U-T.com slash bonus. And you can download a free copy of this book. That's my gift to you and all of your viewers. And so we've got increases in creativity, 50% uh, increase. Can you believe it? Uh, we had, uh, we've, we've had well, let, one example. There was a creative artist who had started a company uh, over 20 years ago. And the images that he created would go into production. He was producing 80 images a year that were good enough to go into production. And his company was grossing half a billion dollars a year, half a billion dollars a year from 80 images. Well, in the six weeks following his alpha training, he did 110 <laughs> such images. And that didn't include like one weekend where he did 25 big acrylic paintings, you know, four by eight feet paintings. People who watch him said paint was just flying off his brushes. So the enhancement of creativity is profound. And for many people, that's bread and butter. And so in addition to reducing anxiety, well, if we look at psychopathology, in fact, I have a paper in a peer-reviewed medical journal uh, entitled Reductions in Psychopathology in a Cohort of Male and Female Canadian Aboriginals. And... Uh, what we found were we trained over 200 Canadian Aboriginals on scholarship in my Canadian training center. And uh, there were reductions in paranoia, schizophrenia, psychasthenia, depression, anxiety, uh, and uh, uh, these results. When I ran a federal grant, uh, I wrote one and I was uh, working in Joe Camille's lab uh, uh, after uh, I got my PhD. And uh, I wrote one and directed a large federal grant entitled Anxiety and Aging Intervention with EEG Alpha Feedback. And uh, 
part of the target population was women from 60 well up into their 80s. One of the reasons here being is that once atherosclerosis sets in, that's hardening of the arteries, the frequency of your alpha slows by eight tenths of a hertz for every 10 years of life. Alpha range is eight to 13 cycles a second. Most people center around 10. And so in just a little over two decades, alpha can drop off the lower end, eight cycles per second, you don't have alpha anymore. You then enter senescence or senility and usually die soon thereafter. If you have any questions, we can you know, talk about that a little bit. So I wanted also anxiety is higher in women than it is in men at every age. And in both men and women, it goes up with age and in women, it goes up faster. So by working with women from 60 up into their 80s, I wanted to work with one elderly people and people most at risk for anxiety. Now, I wrote into the federal grant six-month follow-ups and 12-month follow-ups because I wanted to know, one, did the results work for older people? And then did they last? I also included a college-age male group to anchor the results to earlier pilot studies. And we found that, yes, the older women had the same type of benefits, same range of benefits. And when we brought them back six months later, to our utter astonishment, they were better six months than they were the day right after the training. How can this be? We bring them back at 12 months, and they're better still. And so uh, I think what's happening here is that when through the training, people get feedback, and they fundamentally perceive reality differently. They perceive themselves differently. Their reality changes. Frederick Dodson in his book, Parallel Universes of Self says, identity is synonymous with reality. So when you change your identity, your reality changes. People might go, well, that's fine. How do I change my identity? Very simple, change your brain waves. At BioCybernet, we say brain waves rule. And they do, they rule your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, even your perception. The only way you can see blue is to have the brainwaves for blue in your visual cortex. And if you had your eyes closed and you could run those brainwaves, you would still see blue. Or if they were different brainwaves, you'd see purple or yellow or green or whatever. And so brainwaves rule. And it turns out that when you change your brainwaves, you change your identity and you change fundamentally the reality in which you live. This is very exciting stuff. You want to be a magician? Well, actually, in that hierarchy, there's magicians are the bottom rung. There's magicians, there's wizards, and there's sorcerers. Magicians and wizards simply manipulate the illusion, whereas sorcerers connect with source, and they fundamentally alter reality. And the way we know how to do that is by changing your brainwaves. You could say a biosubordinate training is a fundamental course in reality surfing. Holy smokes. <laughs> oh my goodness. That was epic. Well, I have a lot of uh, questions, but I want to, because I know your time is limited. We got about 15 minutes before you got to jump off. So I'll just ask the biggest question that I can, that comes to mind. So you're suggesting, you know, um, creating reality, which, is normal for the average person to consider, right? Like having a dream or, um, you know, working towards something and achieving it, right? Then in sports, from my background, we know we can visualize something, increase the probability. Um, now what you're talking about is fundamentally, you know, sorcery changing reality mm -hmm. with some like Harry Potter stuff. And I've heard yeah. of stories. I have a, a friend of mine who, you know, manifested 
uh, it's a super long story, but he manifested a lot of money real quick after going through a hundred day intense meditation experience and just mm -hmm. by asking for it. So mm -hmm. my question to you is, what do you think's going on on this planet? Like, as it like, what's the purpose of life? What are we doing here? If we're able to access these different realms, right? So if I go into a different realm, I'm in the astral plane now, what is that benefiting me? Um, is should everybody be able to access that? And then I pull it down, whether it's money or freedom or whatever the case is once to, once i have my emotional intelligence high right because it's not just about acquiring material things it's about the limits of the human experience and, and how to express and expand on this planet so mm. kind of throwing out a lot of ideas here but if we have these abilities do you think that it's we're in a we're in a training ground where we're supposed to develop those um you know what's the meaning of life and what the heck is going on in this planet because this kind of goes into if you're going in these other realms do you go into like simulation theory and stuff like that or um the soul and and the thing that you said about the the monks like reincarnating 13 times like i'm gonna die here and then i'm gonna come back like do i ever get out of this loop am i supposed to be here forever like <laughs> what is going on so um you can take all that and just respond however you want but that's what's going on in my mind you ask such incredibly beautiful big questions so my favorite answer uh to the biggest question there uh comes from ramdas uh, Ramdas is one of my heroes, and I've listed, listened for thousands of hours to Ramdas talking. I have like an inner Ramdas, and at almost any reason I can like dial up. So Ramdas said, the only activity with any intrinsic and absolute worth is that of becoming more conscious. And so the goal of BioCybernaut is to reduce suffering and to expand awareness for as many people as possible, as fast as possible, while ushering in an enduring golden age for all of humanity. The only activity with any intrinsic and absolute worth is that of becoming more conscious. Now, I've studied Celtic magic. I've attained the first degree in Celtic magic. I've worked with two thrice masters, one of whom was an archdruid. And uh, I've also been at the periphery of an hermetic uh, magical group that had close to 100 members and a charismatic leader named Stanley. And uh, in both of these traditions, they understand that there's a simple formula, a recipe for doing a work of magic. Now, some people might call it manifesting. Other people might call it doing a miracle. Uh, in the tradition I was in, they call it doing a work of magic and has three elements. Two of them you understand very well. The third one is, which is the key, might be a little more opaque. The three elements for doing a work of magic are desire, expectation, and merging. Now, everybody knows desire. You've wanted something. Eh, maybe some of you just kind of like, you kind of sort of a little bit want it. No, to make this work, the desire has to be inflamed. It has to be strong. You have to, maybe you dance, maybe you chant, you, you gin up the strong desire. The second ingredient, expectation, uh, you, doubt is a killer. So it has to be confident expectation. And so if you doubt you can do something, well, guess what? You're probably right. Okay, so desire, strong, expectation, confident, and then merging. What's merging? Hmm. Now, we teach merging at Bastavonon. It's built in to what we do. When I was studying with the Archdruid, I pressed him for a definition of merging. The only definition I ever got out of him was this. The Archdruid said, 
Merging is when your awareness becomes one with the ground of being. And if you've done it, you go, oh my God, yes, oh, it's so right on. And if you haven't done it, you go, uh, ground of being, what's that? Okay, so uh, let me put it in a different language. Many people have heard the expression, let go, let God. Okay, so you gin up your desire, make it strong, you get your expectation confident, and then you, in a sense, let go of your personal desire and personal expectation, and you upload it to God, you upload it to the it all, you upload it to the universe, and then that is where the implementation occurs. And so now how do you teach merging? Well, I, as I said, I studied Celtic magic. Uh, I had two different thrice masters, one of whom was an archdruid, and they don't have any way of teaching merging. They give you these works of magic to perform as tests. And if you have some merging ability, you'll be able to do it. And if you don't, you just kind of like fail. There's no program of, you know, this is how you teach merging. But it turns out that the BioCyberNot training is a superb way of teaching merging. How did that work? Well, um, up till now, almost every sound that's ever come in your ear has had an origin outside of you. Maybe it's the phone ringing. Maybe it's a dog barking. Maybe it's a baby crying. Maybe it's a car horn. Maybe it's a jet going overhead. Maybe it's the wind in the trees. The source is not you. So it's hard to merge with that's but not you. Now, if it were you already, it's almost like merging is like automatic because you are it already. Well, guess what? At BioCyberNaut, the sounds that come in your ears in the chamber are you. With our technology, we pick up brain activity that occurs at the microvolt level, itty bitty tiny little waves that are sourced in the thalamus. They are sourced in the deep part of the brain. It's right about there. And there are pacemaker cells there that run 24 seven. You can be awake, sleep, doesn't matter. They're always urging your brain, be an alpha, be an alpha. Now, what Shakespeare might call the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, get in the way and block these signals from coordinating and organizing and being expressed. But with the process of meditation or with the BioCyberNaut training, you can leapfrog past decades of effortful uh, uh, letting go uh, and learn how to do this very quickly. With our technology, we reach in, we detect these microvolt level signals. We amplify them 100,000 times so they're big enough signals for our computers to read them. We, in the way a prism separates out the different colors of light, we have the electronic equivalent of a prism that separates the alpha out of the whole brainwave spectrum that goes from uh, epsilon at the low end to delta to theta to Schumann, to alpha, to beta, to gamma, and to lambda. We pull out, in this case, just the alpha waves, and we use the amplitude of the alpha to control the volume of tones, different tones for different parts of your head. Boom, 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 boom. So you can listen to these tones and know when your alpha is occurring. And if the alpha gets bigger, the tones get louder. And so these sounds coming in your ears are actually sourced from deep within your brain. So when we ask people, listen to the tones as though your life depended on it. 
feel that you and the tones are one. Well, that's so easy because they come from you. They come from deep parts of your consciousness. The, the brainwaves that are generating the consciousness that you're using to listen to the tones are what are producing the tones that you're listening to. And so merging is automatic. It's natural at BioCyberNode. And so you already know how to desire with a little practice, you need forgiveness, you can get rid of doubt so you can have confident expectations. And just by doing the BioCyberNode training, you are learning how to merge. And so you leave the training and guess what? You're a board certified magician, or maybe we should say sorcerer. And people's lives get better. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. Well, that's amazing. As this interview has gone on, I've just kind of recently had the idea, you know, like not like Black Mirror, but like these little tiny short um, futuristic things, you know, it's like you're out of another universe sharing this thing, something out of like, I don't know, 2050, you know, telling us uh, the technologies and the possibilities of the day. It's like you're, you're 10 years ahead. It's very fascinating and um, enjoyable to listen to you because, like I said at the beginning, it's like we had the same interest in mindset and mind power, but you're also like a mad scientist, but a very brilliant individual figuring out how to map that where I'm more like a guinea pig, just going to these places and trying things and doing stuff. So uh, I appreciate you coming on and I wish we had a lot more time to, to speak because there's a, so many if more you like, questions. I'll come I have. back. Oh, perfect. Yes. Please come back. I'd love to have you back. Um, you know, we have a few minutes before you got to jump off. So I just want to make sure that you uh, share anything that you uh, wish that I'd asked or that you want to share before we leave and where people can go uh, check out your work and your training and uh, how they might begin the process if you have online or is all at all in person or how does it work? Well, we, we need you to show up at the training center because we need to put these little gold disc electrodes on your head in very carefully measured places, and then plug you into our amplifiers so your tiny little brain waves can be boosted, and then go into our computers where they're analyzed and then turned into these beautiful musical sounds, lutes and oboes and clarinets and saxophones and organ music. So you uh, live and you sit in a sea of sound uh, where you your brain is generating the sound. Every couple minutes, the music stops and you open your eyes and you see scores that light up and tell you how much power you produce the different regions of the brain. And the scores in the middle of the screen tell you how well your left and your right brain are working together, getting your head together while making beautiful music is one of the things that happens at BioCyberNode. And so uh, we offer three trainings a month. We typically start, uh, we run the third to the ninth, the 13th to the 19th, and the 23rd to the 29th. Now we do jog around Christmas. So the third training in December is from the 26th of December through the 1st of January. And then we start the first training in January on the 4th, but in February doesn't always have 29 days. So we go two to eight, 12 to 18 and 22 to 28. But all the rest of the months, it's we start trainings on the 3rd, the 13th and the 23rd makes it very easy. Uh, we presently have functional training centers in Sedona, Arizona, and uh, Meyerhofen, Bavaria, Germany. Our Canadian training center is uh, sort of in limbo. Uh, I was moving out of Victoria, British Columbia, Canada to get away from the Cascadia earthquake fault. I'd bought a new property across the Rocky Mountains in Bragg Creek, Alberta, Canada, 
when COVID hit. And so everything just kind of got frozen. The house is there, hasn't been renovated into a training center yet. Um, the technology is there, but we're not leading trainings in Canada at the moment. So there are places you can go. The website is www.biocybernot.com. Bio is B-I-O. Cyber is C-Y-B-E-R. And not is N-A-U-T. And if you do www.biocybernot.com slash bonus, you can get a free copy of my book, The Art of Smart Thinking. And so, uh, and when you call the phone number there, you will reach Kate O'Connor, who is our uh, customer care lady. And she's uh, in uh, Alberta, Canada, near Edmonton. And uh, she knows the schedule and she'll address your, any concerns, answer any questions and get you registered for a training. We do have a few, very few openings before the end of the year uh, the first two trainings in January are a little bit more open, but uh, Germany is full uh, through, the, through the end of the year. There's no more seats available in Germany, and there's, I think, just a couple left in Sedona between now and uh, the end of December. So you're welcome to come and explore what Cliff High would call the woo here at BioCyberNome. <laughs> well, I hope you get your, your Canada location up and running so I can come for a visit because uh, I don't know what travel's like, but uh, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to make it there one day because that sounds incredibly fascinating and fun and, uh, you know, something that could be a very powerful experience. It sounds like you have it dialed in very well. I've, I've done other EEG trainings, uh, one at Dr. Joe Dispenzo, one with uh, Muse Meditation and their headquarters and a few other ones, but diving into this kind of work is uh, incredibly fascinating. So I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you giving out uh, a gift and a bonus to my audience. So I invite them to check that out. And uh, just thank you so much for coming on the show. We'll definitely get you back where we have more time and we'll go down even more rabbit holes because I think we're just getting warmed up. So thank you so much. Thank you for the beautiful being that you are. Nah, I appreciate that. We'll have a beautiful day and uh, we'll connect again soon. Thank Thanks you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye now. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely amazing Dr. James Hart. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. And if you did, please share it and leave a review on iTunes. You know, censorship is, is massive. So if you can share it in Facebook Messenger, whatever you use in your clubs, on your blogs, or anything you do to get the show out there, uh, it helps immensely and it is deeply appreciated. And if you could take a moment to leave a review, that's great too. And also consider joining the membership at mattbelair.com. You can do that by donation or for free. And they deleted Patreon, and so that is why. And, uh, you know, check out some of the amazing stuff on the website from the Quantum Heart Hypnosis and the Soul Compass and all those different kinds of things um you know we're gonna keep working on this podcast here the law summit is still going strong we've had i think five thousand people sign up for that helping people navigate the difficult legal ch challenges and the unlawful things that are going on now so um just keep the faith and know that we will succeed during this and um you know it's all about responding to what's happening and i do think this is a spiritual war this is a spiritual battle and the more that we can respond in a very powerful way to what is happening we're gonna team up with other people finding the solution so don't lose hope um you know be mindful but be resilient you know get connected to the creator and whatever that is for you and hopefully this podcast is serving you and your family and your friends i'm very grateful to have your time and your attention and will continue to do my best to find um you know teachers 
and uh, leaders who can help us in a very powerful way navigate these current times. So um, I appreciate everybody here. Would love to hear from you on social media, Telegram, things like that. You know, a lot of stuff's getting deleted. So you can hit me up at matt at zenathlete.com on Telegram or on other social channels. But I just appreciate uh, you guys and... Um, that's it. So thank you guys so much for listening. Let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we close this out. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, every muscle, and every fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, faith, courage, inspiration, connection, and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.